when the Lord Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, he told us that the reason we should practice it regularly was to remember him. That's the primary reason. He said in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 24 and 25, in connection with taking the bread and the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Question is, how can a Christian ever forget Christ? How can we possibly forget him? Well, frankly, it is relatively easy to forget him. Not in the sense that we never think about Jesus, Certainly not in that sense, but in the sense that we can live our lives as if he doesn't really factor in our daily behavior. That's how we can so easily forget him. In fact, it's so easy to do this that the book of Revelation tells us about an entire church in the days of the New Testament era that really forgot Jesus. In Revelation chapter 2, there is a letter written to this church. It is the church at Ephesus. It's a letter written directly from Jesus to the church. There are seven churches in the book of Revelation that the Lord wrote a letter to. Ephesus is one of them. Here's how the letter begins. Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. Now, it's not my intention tonight to give a detailed exposition of these verses. I've done that before, and you can listen to the message online if you want a more extensive explanation of the meaning of these verses. But tonight, my intention is to simply call your attention to the problem that the church at Ephesus had, because you may very well have the same problem. Now, a number of years ago, we spent our Sunday evening studying Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and here's another letter. In addition to the first letter, here's another letter to them directly from the Lord Jesus Christ, addressed to them years after he returned to the Father. Now, this church was founded by the Apostle Paul about 40 years prior to the writing of the book of Revelation. According to Acts chapter 19, verse 10, Paul spent about two years in the city of Ephesus teaching the church. But you also should be aware of the fact that in addition to Paul, this church was uniquely blessed with other great leaders and other great teachers. At one time or another in its 40-year history, Timothy was there. Silas, Paul's missionary partner, was there. Apollos was there, a man mighty in the scriptures, and the apostle John. All of these men served there, not to mention that there were other unnamed men who must have been wonderful leaders and Bible teachers as well. So this church had a strong and and an illustrious past. And there were many good things, many positive things that Jesus said about this church as we read in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation chapter 2. He is commending the church. He said, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they're not. And you have found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. These are good things that Jesus said about this church. 
Here we have the Lord commending the Ephesians for their deeds and he said their toil because they were an active, very energetic church. They were a church that worked very hard. In fact, they worked so hard that they were exhausted. The reason I say that is because the specific Greek word that's used for toil here actually means to work, to toil, to labor, to the point of exhaustion. The Lord also commends them for their perseverance under difficult situations. They didn't quit serving the Lord. They didn't stop obeying Him, even though life was very challenging and difficult for them. They experienced much opposition to their faith because Ephesus was the center of the worship of Diana. Artemis was her Greek name, Diana her Roman name. She is the fertility goddess. And so this town was extremely immoral, being filled with scores of priestesses who were actually prostitutes, sacred, considered sacred prostitutes. And yet the Christians there continued, Jesus said, to persevere in their Christian life in spite of how hard it was to be a Christian in such an evil, wicked place. In addition, notice the Lord commends them for dealing with sin in their church because he says you cannot tolerate evil men. Apparently this church practiced as all churches should, church discipline. They didn't tolerate false teachers, certain men who Jesus said claimed to be apostles, but they were not. And this church didn't tolerate that. So in many ways, the church at Ephesus was a really great church, one that we would probably, if we lived back then, would have enjoyed being a part of. They were aggressive in serving the Lord. They were loyal to the Lord Jesus in the face of opposition. They were morally pure while living in an immoral cesspool of a city with leaders who were sound in their teaching and sound in their living. However, while things were going well in a church ministry sense, this congregation had an internal heart problem that only the Lord could see. To everybody else, it looked good on the outside but Jesus looks within. And here's what he said in verse 4. First, he commended them. Now he rebukes them. He said, but I have this against you, that you have left your first love. And with these words, the Lord rebukes this entire church, not just a section, but the entire church, because he says they had left their first love. So what does he mean by this? Well, simply put, he means that they had abandoned their first love for him. The love that they had for Christ when they had first met him, when they were first saved, when they were brand new in the faith. Things had changed. Now notice, the Lord isn't saying that they no longer loved him. He's not saying that at all. But rather that their love for him had grown cold and stale and routine. In other words, the honeymoon was over because the warmth the thrill, the excitement that they had with Christ when they had first become Christians, it was gone. Another way of putting this was that their initial passion for Christ was gone. And now their love for Him had settled into a cold, routine, mechanical sort of thing. Now, does this description fit you? That's the question. Because your love for Christ isn't fresh. It isn't fervent like it was when you were a brand new believer. I'm not the Lord. I can't look into your heart. But he can. And you know 
if it is or it isn't. That's what Jesus means by leaving your first love. The personal love and devotion that you once had for him is just no longer there. This doesn't mean that you're not active in serving him or that you aren't diligent in studying the Bible or that you're not even a student of the word and you believe sound doctrine and you're theologically crisp. It just means that your love for Jesus has cooled off. He isn't your focus the way he used to be. And that's a problem that many Christians have. All of us have to be reminded of this. So how can you tell? How can you really tell if you've left your first love? Well, in his book, his very good book, Uneclipsing the Sun, author Rick Holland tells us how we can know whether or not we have left Christ as our first love. He writes this, Jesus said, the mouth speaks from that which fills the heart, Luke 6, 45. It's axiomatic that what we love, we talk about. Finding out what you love is easy enough. Simply listen to yourself talk. Our emotions capture thoughts, ideas, and concepts and store them in our hearts. As we meditate on them, they bubble over into our speech. What fills your heart even at this moment? Those around you know already. Your parents, your friends, your wife, your children, those in your church probably have a realistic understanding of what you love. They know if your heart is flooded with the light of Christ or drowning in the cares and pursuits of this world. The reoccurring themes that fill our conversations don't lie. If your heart is captured by sports, clothing, games, cars, or self, then Jesus is crowded out of your speech. And I say, ouch. Now, if these words fit you, then like the Ephesians, you have left your first love of Jesus Christ, regardless of how active, as I said, in the church you might be, regardless, as I said, of how many Bible studies you might be involved in, regardless of how many good Christian books you've recently read, if you are more excited about talking about anything other than Jesus, because these are the things that are primarily occupying your mind, even good things, then you have left your first love. And even though others may not recognize this, the point is the Lord does. The Lord does, because he sees your heart and he knows everything there is to know about you. So if this is true of you, don't despair. There is hope, because Jesus proceeds in the book of Revelation, in this letter to the Ephesians, he proceeds to tell the Ephesians and us how to correct the problem. Verse 5, he says, therefore, it's very important, therefore, based on this, based on what I've just said, therefore, Remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, in this statement, the Lord notice he gives a threefold remedy to correct the problem of a loss of first love. That is to say that there are three specific steps that have to be taken in order to get back to Christ being your first love. Step number one, this is what Jesus said. The first thing he said is remember. Remember. First thing he tells us to do is to remember from where you have fallen. Now what the Lord means by these words is that he wants us to remember back to the early days, weeks, perhaps months, following 
our conversion. Think back to that time. He wants us to think back to what it was like when you were first saved. How thrilled you were to know Christ. There was a special warmth of fellowship that you had with him. There was the excitement of not only coming to know him, but of getting to know him better, of learning about him, of discovering new truths in his word about him. This is similar to recalling how exciting it was when you first fell in love with your spouse. Michelle and I recently celebrated our 47th wedding anniversary, but I can still remember what it was like to fall in love with her when we were students in Bible college. When I was with her, my heart would beat fast. It still does. I couldn't take my eyes off of her. I did things for her because I was so thrilled with her. I could not believe that someone this wonderful would love me. Now, while it's not a perfect illustration, no illustration is perfect, I get that. I understand it's not a perfect illustration when you fall in love with Jesus, not the same thing exactly of falling in love with another human being. But there are some parallels. Thought about him night and day. You wanted to get to know him better. And knowing how sinful you are, you could hardly believe that someone as wonderful as the Lord Jesus Christ could actually love you. Now that's what Jesus means by remember from where you have fallen. Remember how it used to be with you and him so that you'll long for that type of first love again. So that, folks, is the first step. Remember, think back. What was it like? What was it like when you first came to know Christ? The thrill of that, the newness of that, the freshness of that. Think back to those days. Step number two. Step number two for getting back to Christ as your first love. First, you remember so that there's a longing in your heart to return to those days, at least to what those days represented. But the second step is to repent. To repent. After telling us to remember from where you've fallen, Jesus simply says, repent, which means to change your mind and to forsake your sin. It's not one or the other. It's both. Change your mind and forsake sin. Your sin. Think differently about your, yourself, your condition, your sin, and stop it. Forsake it. In other words, after remembering how far you have fallen from your first days as a Christian, repent about the things that got you sidetracked from loving Him like you used to love Him. Repent. What could it be? Well, it could be a number of things. It could be an inappropriate relationship that got you sidetracked. It could be loving money. It could be an obsession with your work, your vocation. It could be an enthusiasm for a hobby or a sport. Whatever it is that diverted your attention away from Christ, repent of that by forsaking it. Asking God to forgive you while telling Him that you want that warmth again, that warm kind of love towards Him again. And after telling us to remember the way it used to be when we were first in love with Him, and then to repent over anything that has caused us to drift away from this first love with Him, the Lord then gives a third and a final step for us to get back to being in love with Him like we used to be. Step number three is to return. To return. Jesus tells us to do the deeds you did at first. 
In other words, he's saying, return to the things you did when you first came to know me. And your love for me was fresh and pure and warm and vibrant. That is to say, he's telling you to get back to those things that made you glow with love for him. What did you do at first that you're not doing now? Well, think about that and get back to those things. So what are some of those first deeds that kept your love for Christ fresh and alive and warm? Well, for one thing, I mean, I don't know your exact situation, but these are kind of the basics. For one thing, it's very likely you used to open your Bibles to read it because you were so excited to learn what he was like and what he wanted you to do. Yes, you may open your Bibles now, but so often it becomes an obligation. Maybe you have to do a reading plan. Maybe you've got to get through these chapters today or you'll never finish in a year. But it wasn't like that at first. At first, probably nobody ever told you about a reading plan. You just opened the Bible and started reading for yourself and you loved it and you were discovering new things that you had never heard of. Get back to that. I mean, have your reading plan, that's fine. But make sure it's not an obligation, that there is a desire to learn new things that you say with the psalmist, teach me, teach me wonderful things out of your word. Very likely, in those early days, you used to get together with other believers and you would just naturally talk about the Lord. You might not have known what you were talking about, or they what they were talking about. You might have said all kinds of goofy things, but you love to talk about Jesus. Get back to that. Not just small talk, not just chit-chat. Get back to talking about Christ. It's very likely you also used to witness to others about Christ. Not out of a sense of duty. Probably nobody even told you you needed to go witness. You just wanted to because you were in love with him and you wanted others to know about your love for him so that they could love him too. So you just naturally oozed Christ in telling others about him. You perhaps weren't even clear with the gospel, but what little you knew, that's what you shared. It's very likely you used to spend time in prayer with him, worshiping him, talking to him, all kinds of times during the day. You were just so thrilled to be able to talk to him. It's also very likely that you used to look forward to going to church on Sundays and that you went to church as often as possible. Sunday school, morning service, even Sunday nights if your church had that. But now it's very easy to fall into the cycle of church no longer exciting you. It's just almost, it's almost like a burden that you look forward to getting it over with each week. That ought not to be. Folks, get back to those things that once kept the fires of your heart aflamed for Christ. See, Jesus tells us to return to these initial deeds. Return to doing those things that you did when you were first saved, when your love for Him was warm and fresh, because it's by doing these things again that you're going to get back to your first love for him and you'll maintain your first love for him. The Lord is just saying, go back to where it all began. You somehow got away from that. Now go back to that. So remember, repent, and return. This is how we get back to loving him the way we once 
did. And there's no better time to do this than right now as we come to the Lord's Supper. Because the Lord's Supper, as I said earlier, it is the time for us to remember Christ and what He's done for us in dying, paying for our sins. And it's a time for us to examine ourselves to see if there is any sin that we need to repent of. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So I want us tonight to take the next few minutes to examine our hearts See if they're, ask the Lord what sin might be there. Maybe you're convicted of not loving him like you used to. Maybe you're filled up with theology, but not much about Jesus himself. If so, get back to that. Repent of that. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him for wisdom to know what to do to get back to where you once were. But this is a time for us to meditate and think and ask the Lord to search our hearts, to bring to our remembrance anything we need to repent of, especially anything that has caused you to drift away from the way it used to be with Him, and then return to doing those things. So let's do that now, and let's be quiet before Him and ask Him to bring things to our minds that we need to repent of. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, and then we will partake of the bread. Lord Jesus, we are so very sorry that we've drifted from you, if that indeed is the case of our hearts, that we've filled our lives with so many things, even good things, and yet have somehow left you on the outside, where we have been preoccupied with things and issues, and even learning theology or serving you, and yet not been in love with you like we should be. Not focusing on you like we did in those early days. Lord, bring us back to that. Work in our hearts. We give you thanks that no matter what we've done, no matter what we haven't done, that we should have done, there is forgiveness with you. That's what the cross is about. So we thank you for that. We don't have to carry the burden of guilt For our sins have been paid for by your precious life and precious blood. And we thank you for that. Lord, we do remember you. We pray that you'll revive and revitalize our hearts to be in love with you. Not forgetting the importance of serving you. Not forgetting the importance of growing in grace and knowledge. But also remembering that you're a person who we need to love and worship and adore and focus on. 
And Lord, we do that now as we obey you by remembering to observe what you've commanded us to do. And that is take the bread and remember you. And this we do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The apostle continued in verse 25 when he said, In the same way, Jesus took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray and then we will take the cup. Lord Jesus, we thank you that in your death you shed your blood, which speaks of the cleansing, cleansing forgiveness that we have from you. Oh Lord, we, we need that. We all can look at things in our lives that we so regret, times that we sinned against you. But we thank you that all those sins were laid upon you and you shed your blood to forgive us. We are cleansed, whether we feel like it or not. So we thank you. Lord, we partake of this cup because it reminds us of your red blood and the precious blood as of a lamb without any stain or any sin. You are the sinless one who died for the sinners like us. So Lord, we now thank you. We take of this cup in your name. Amen. So let's stand for closing prayer. Appreciate you coming this morning, tonight. It's good to be with the Lord's people in the Lord's house, hearing the Lord's word. Our Father, we have heard your word tonight, and we pray that you help us to act upon it. We have obeyed your command, Lord Jesus, to observe your supper. We've come to the table. We've fellowshiped with you. We have thought about these things that you told us to do, to remember where we have fallen from, to repent of our sins, and to return to those things that helped us to walk in the warmth of your fellowship and love. And we pray, Lord, that even as we go out these doors, that these truths will stay with us, and that tomorrow, when we wake up, we'll be thinking about them and doing something about them. Lord, we do love you. You know that. Even as Peter said that to you, Lord, you know that I love you. You do know that. But you know that with some of us, that love has grown dull. It's been tarnished. We pray that you'll, you'll flame the fires of our love, that we, whether we feel emotionally up or down, nonetheless, Lord, may you be the focus of our lives and you be our adoring object of love. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.